<laughs> oh, I can see it now. Yeah, sorry, I had my um another window up, so I couldn't see anything. Rich, stop talking. Hello, guys. <laughs> How you doing? Um, so this is the Carnivore Q and A Team GB. So everyone on this panel um today is from the UK. I think we're actually all from either England or Wales. Um, I think Richard's the outcast in this situation. We're hoping to get more people on from our native local area in coming weeks at some point. Um, basically, I come up with this idea to have people in the UK to celebrate the carnival diet, all their achievements, and give some people some useful tips based on what we've understood so far in our, in some cases, very long journeys. I mean, Phil here has been here doing carnival diet for about eight years. Coach Steven's been there doing a low-carb diet at least for you know a long, long time now. Richard Smith, the Keto Pro, excellent information. He's been keto for a long time. We've also got Ben, who's a bit newer in this scene but his insights are also very valuable um i'm just going to quickly go over my background first and i'll leave each each of these gents to go through their stories as individuals um so i'm a 28 year old man from the uk i live half my time in bournemouth in the south coast and half the time in woking um about an hour outside of london and what i basically did was i started the carnivore diet on the february the 2nd 2020 about three and a half, nearly four years ago now, wanting to sort of produce some symptoms I had. So joint pain, inflammation, digestive issues, um, cognitive impairment, you might say. So depression, um, anxiety, and also symptoms of autism. Um, for those of you who don't know, I did have a spine fusion surgery about 10 months ago now. And that's probably the most significant thing I could really talk about. And my recovery from that um, was very, very much improved because of the diet. Um, so I was out exercising again within about seven or eight days of my spine surgery. Most people don't do that for about three months. So the journey so far has been very beneficial to me, but I'll leave each of these guys to introduce themselves in a bit more detail than I have. Stephen, do you want to go next? <laughs> well, Ben, when you unmute it, see, the thing is, we're all very British. We're just proving that we're British because we're all like, well, not me. No, I'm not going to go next. So, um yeah, I can do this quite quickly. Five years carnivore, 10 years low carb. Before that, I believed in high carb, no red meats, no fat in my diet. So um, poor old Phil, which, well, I think everybody in the room's heard this, but maybe some people haven't heard it. I was having porridge every morning, skim milk, freshly squeezed orange juice, blueberries. I was not touching red meat. I was taking the fat off the meat. I wouldn't dare touch it. And then um, I got into my 40s. And even though I was a personal trainer and I was doing all the things that the WHO told me to do, I was getting fatter and I was getting sicker. I had lower left quadrant pain, colonoscopy, thought I was going to die of colon cancer because my parents both died of cancer. My mum of colon cancer, even though she was on bran flakes and cereals and, and wholemeal bread and not touching red meat and fat and all that. Um well, anyway, I got into my 40s, coronary artery calcium scan of 639, and I went on YouTube. I found Dr. Eric Berg, went, went low carb, actually. That's how I started, and all my problems started to resolve. I stopped being pre-diabetic. I stopped getting fatter. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I haven't done the entire time there. Can you imagine that, Phil? Not drinking for that, that long. And um, it was just amazing that I did everything right. And I'm glad I didn't smoke. I'm glad I didn't drink. I'm glad I was active. I'm glad I did all the things I was supposed to do because I know categorically that all that stuff is rubbish. And uh, once I went low carb, it all got better. And then, of course, uh, following people like Ken Berry, um, 
strange enough, sort of like a parallel universe. Started to go keto when he did, not because he did. It just seems to be quite organic. And then I got to age fifty-five, decided to be a um, carnivore carnivore coach. I trained under um, Dr. Sean Baker at Meet RX, and here I am, five years later, uh, fitter, stronger, faster. Fifty-nine, looking forward to being sixty, and that's my story. Richard, you up? Yeah, you're up, Richard. Me, there we are. I was going to say which way are we go in, gents. I was going to move across to Ben, but uh, no, thanks for that. Yeah, quick and easy for me. Um, Richard Smith, founder of the Keto Pro. Uh, in my mid to late 20s, I was clinically obese, type 2 diabetic, suffered with chronic fatigue, depression, anxiety, arthritic pains, uh, daily debilitating migraines that would make me blind, uh, all of which I was on a myriad of medication for. Uh, and in my mid to late 20s, I could barely walk up the stairs without stopping uh, or being severely out of breath. And I was doing everything that we were told that we should be doing. Uh, you know, I was eating from the eat well plate, the food pyramid. Uh, but the healthier that I seemed to try to become, uh, the more ill that I became. Um, I won't bore you with uh, the, the the boring long version, but I, I stumbled upon low carb and keto and within a very short space of time, I managed to reverse my diabetes. Uh, within a few weeks, uh, 12 months, I managed to lose 107 pounds of body fat. So coupled with reversing the diabetes, I was now pain-free, uh, medication-free. And I went on to become uh, a keto coach, trained as a nutritionist. And then I began teaching others the, the, the keto life. Uh, slowly gravitated into carnivore. So I have been on my journey for 10, 11 years, uh, four of which has been carnivore. The last year I had classes being uh, strict carnivore. And my lifestyle has allowed me to not only go from being clinically obese and diabetic and, and, and fixing and repairing those issues, but I went on to become uh, a professional athlete uh, and British and European champion in men's physique bodybuilding, which is absolutely incredible when you think that, you know, for somebody to go from being unable to walk up the stairs to that. Uh, and then from that, I've uh, come away from bodybuilding. As you can see, I'm considerably smaller. And now I've gone into competing in duathlons and, and triathlons, so running and cycling. Um, uh, and part of what I do, I'm founder of the Keto Pro, so I help people. I'm a, an ambassador for the Public Health Collaboration, uh, the Norks Foundation. I work with Diabetes UK and the NHS. Uh, we work uh, alongside doctors and help people in uh, regards to all sorts of illnesses, diseases, diabetes, all the way up to cancers and tumors. Uh, and part of what I do is offer coaching and uh, products and supplements to enable people to live the lifestyle effectively and uh, and safely. Uh, I'm glad to be here. So thanks for the invitation, Jonathan. And uh, excited to be on board. Over to Ben. <laughs> or, or, or Phil, even. There we are. <laughs> I think we're going around that way, aren't we? Just Ben's idea. Yeah. Amazing story there, Richard. Brilliant. Yeah. I have a slightly different one. I was, um, I've, so, I, well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the granddad, I think, here. I'm 61 now. And I, I've, I've been into studying diet and lifestyle for 40 odd years, I think. And um, I, I had it completely wrong for about 30 of them. And I used to write books on plant-based eating and all that sort of thing. And sort of kind of came out of that a little bit in the late 90s and ran my own gym and got pretty big. Then through the early 2000s, got pretty fat instead. 
and uh, 2010 completely crippled with with uh, psoriatic arthritis and fixed that you know it took me about three years with some silly um, diversions into veganism and whatever which uh, gave me nothing in the in the in the field of um, reducing inflammation but it did did give me kidney stones but then went low carb having discovered Natasha Campbell McBride and then Jack Cruz's work and whatever and uh when low carb started to fix myself, wrote my book that became a bestseller, Arthritis, the best thing that ever happened to me, that's um, still out there. And 2015, I decided I felt better on the days I didn't cook any veg. So it's been eight years carnivore for me now. And uh, really rewarding just uh, doing consults and seeing wonderful results with autoimmunity. Wonderful uh, reversals of this and that. And also, you know, the... Uh, the big C that we're not allowed to talk about, of course. And now, um, you know, I've been part of the uh, team that produced the Red Pill Revolution books that uh, Ben put the words together for. And I see that he's got the Big Fat Challenge as his subtitle under there, and I completely forgot to put that on. And so now I work with Ben um, on the Big Fat Challenge. Um, it's a 90-day challenge helping people to understand about the benefits of animal fats and ancestral living. And that's that's where I am now. Brilliant. Well, I, I'm Ben Hunt. I'm uh, <clears throat> I'm in the middle age wise. I'm 51 years old now. Um, just a few days ago, and um, I, I mean, I feel slightly embarrassed that I, I, I haven't been obese or or crippled. Uh, I actually came into this via a much more circuitous route because a few years ago i was really into into gardening and uh, no dig uh gardening i was i designed and built my own greenhouse in my garden i was growing my own veg chilies and stuff like that and i was convinced that that the way to save the world and the way that we could all live uh, more more healthy and peaceful prosperous lives was to was to grow a load of veg and uh, that then led me to explore a load of stuff. I started going to conferences organized by like the Oxford Real Farming Conference and the Sustainable Food Trust and stuff like that, um, all in, all with the idea of, of drawing down carbon out of the atmosphere and building soil. And uh, when I was at these conferences, I was start, people were starting to stand up and talk about weird stuff like the importance of ruminant animals for the soil and for the, for the environment. And, and what's more, they started slipping in things like um <clears throat> the essential importance of dha and epa and cla and and all these other things as though as though eating meat was actually not just important for the earth but impo important for our health as well so just being somebody who's always been curious about finding out new knowledge and new information um i i started looking around and i came across phil's a Facebook group, 100% Carnivore and Beyond. And I thought, seriously? People? I mean, I'd, I'd heard about banting and stuff like that a few years ago, and I thought it was all woo and, and couldn't, because everybody knows that that uh, you can't just eat meat. Um, but yeah, I started to learn a little bit more, and um, yeah, met Phil. We started working together, and the rest, as they say, is history. So here we are. Yeah, that's great, Phil and Ben. It's that you did the Big Fat Challenge. I think that was... Um... One of the best things that I've seen online, actually, I think it's it's really good, and I think people might be surprised that we're all quite happy to talk about each other's services. It's not a competition. That's the one thing that I think we all decided behind the scenes. If uh, 
Well, let's go through the people that have commented, you see. And, and what you'll find is that one person might like Ben, one person might like Phil, one person might like Jonathan, one person might like Richard. Uh, and then obviously 10 people might like me. So, you know, it's, I'm joking, by the way. Uh, you know, so it's good just to get everybody in the UK to um, be part of this. So I just want to quickly flash up the comments. And if anyone knows these people... How to pronounce that first name? I know Zbigniew. I've known him for a year now. Um, so it's Zbigniew Warzenek. Um, you won't get it first time, but it's he's a great guy. He's been following my channel now for um, pretty much since I started, and he always initiates the, the hit the like button. Yeah. Uh, so it is quite helpful having one. He's um, a really nice guy. He'd stick around definitely. So I'm, I'm grateful to have him here and grateful to have him as a client. Brilliant. Mitchell's highlighted Phil's recent uh, interview with um, Amak Malik, which is... Uh, look, uh, look, you're jumping ahead. Ben, you're not. jumping ahead. <laughs> I th- I've got loads here. Let's do this. So we got Rick here. Does everybody know Rick? I know Rick, yeah. We, we've um, collaborated a couple of times. He's good fun. and He does have a YouTube channel himself, so I recommend subscribing to him. He's a carnivore who's been doing it for probably about 40 years at this point. Um, I think he's probably about 50 and he doesn't look about 50. He's one of those sort of guys, so I'm quite envious of him. But he, he's got some great insights. He does have a channel. He doesn't talk much about Carnival for a Carnival channel, but his videos are hilarious. He'll just f- film the ducks mating and have a good good time. Um, I do recommend following him on um, okay. on YouTube. The next name up, I think Rich knows very well. Yeah, I think we, we both know Matthew. Yeah, he's a guy from the UK, uh, a weightlifter. I was prompting Richard to, to pipe in because Matthew's a big fan. Yes, we love Matthew. Good supporter. Right, okay. Um, Kyle, hit the like button. Should be a good one. Well, that name is new to me. I know Kyle. Yeah, Kyle's a great guy. He lives in, I think it's in Canada. I can't for life remember where it's from. Um, but it's, it's a funny name. Oh, Nova Scotia he's from. He's a great guy. He's also uh, an athlete, like a physical athlete. He's, um, very fit, very fit guy. You know, mm. you, honestly, you could probably give um Richard a run for his money, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Nova Scotia doesn't that mean New Scotland? Anyway, Jay, I don't know Jay. Maybe that's one of yours again, Jonathan. Yeah, sorry, that's one of mine as well. That's um, yeah, Jay. But his, his real name's Jamie, but he's a good guy. He's um, very pleasant guy. He works a lot on the road. He trains a couple of times a week. Um, he loves his family, and he's just like the rest of us, like real honest. Hardworking people. This is great, isn't it? Former fat girl. Um, That's why I wanted. Well. <laughs> yeah, this is good. Well, you're yeah. you're obviously kind of shifting, Jonathan, getting people up. Lamb. Oh, lambs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. This is uh, this is a nice gentleman. Yeah. Right. Okay. I, I know lambs too. Hello. Excellent. Uh, the carnivore cabbie. <laughs> cool. Well, if he's a cabbie, it's surprising that he came on time, actually. But anyway, right. Um, now, look, we've got a superstar listening, Dr. Rachel Brown. There you go. I think this is what Ben was referring to. Fire away, Ben. Yeah, sorry. I jumped, jumped the gun there. But yeah, Ahmed Malik is wonderful, wonderful guy um, that, that uh, you know, Phil's been on his podcast, um, and which he actually only started this May as well. So, you know, he's somebody that, just started asking questions. I mean, mainly to do with COVID and all that, all that kind of stuff as well. But the things that he's learning and picking up from everyone that he has on his channel, the, the guy's like headfirst down the rabbit hole and, and sometimes in a spin, but it, 
absolutely lovely soul, lovely human being as well, and um, getting more and more meat into his diet as well. So thank you, Rachel. Yeah, he's, he's great, isn't he? I've become good mates with him. We chat a lot. And, and Rachel, have you not been on his podcast as well? I think she wrote a message. We're a little behind in the messages, so uh, you might see that pop up. Yeah. And we've got uh, Beth. Well, I know Beth. Does anyone else know Beth? I need to get out more. I don't know anything, people. Maybe it's, I'm just fundamentally antisocial. <laughs> uh, Copper's Carnival Kitchen, that sort of Rich and I, we, we definitely have encountered uh, Copper's Carnival Kitchen. I think we, we've we nearly caught up here. And thank you very much, Tom Jay. And I'll do my joke. Is it Tom Jones? Well, it wouldn't be unusual, would it? Uh, so that's that. And we've got Carl. Come on, Rich, pipe up, mate. You know Carl. Yes, Carl's a good friend of mine. Yeah. Good supporter. I'll be seeing Carl on Saturday. He's popping in to see me for some merchandise and some uh, some supplements. So looking forward to catching up with Carl. Nice to see you uh, on again tonight. Cool. We might talk about supplements a little bit. Keto Mama, meat, the only way to eat. And lots of lots of meat emojis. Uh, then we've got Dr. Rachel Brown has said something. Ahmed is getting the truth out there. So many carnivores have been on. Ah, so I'm missing out, really. So there we go. We're nice and caught up so we can relax a bit now. Because I think if people have bothered to wait, I mean, some of those people have been waiting online for, you know, 20 minutes. So I think we should have gone through that. But that's great. And thank you, Rachel, for for, for checking in. Now, you're in the UK, um, and that screen is way too male for my liking. So, Rachel, we've got to get you on. If you'd like to be uh, in this mix, that would be great. Uh, not right now, but, I mean... We could do that next week, maybe, and I'm, I'm sure that's fine. I would imagine so, anyway. Right. Uh, there's a there's a question here. There is from unknown. Oh, oh, that's another one I've seen uh, above that. Uh, we, we, we do with this arm first. Carnival Kelly. Oh, oh, he's got a question. Really? Oh yeah, brilliant. Sorry, what well I feel. Question, question, question. Left A&E yesterday with a vague diagnosis of gout. No blood done. Blamed carnivore diet. In agony. Others have said it's oxide dumping. Any thoughts? I've got thoughts on that, but if anyone else wants to dive in. We all have. Should, should, we, should we pass it over, first of all, to our gout sufferer here, Ben? <laughs> yeah. So, I I mean, Stephen, you, you and I have discussed this at length before as well on, on previous interviews, but yeah. I never got gout until I went high fat, low carb. And then I've had maybe six or seven uh, attacks of gout, and it is horrible. Right? Uh, according to, I think Ken Berry says that, that women have told him that there are only three things worse than childbirth. And I think gout and kidney stones are two of them. I'm not sure what the third one is. But yeah, it's absolutely horrible. And every time I get it, I think, how have I broken my foot? Because I can't put any weight on it and whatever. Um, so, yeah, very likely it is gout. Um, now, the the traditional wisdom is that meat, because it has purines in it, and the purines compete for excretion by the kidneys um, with uh, uric acid, and then the uric acid builds up, blah, 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 blah. It's absolutely not true. I'm, I'm convinced that isn't true. And you do mention oxalate dumping in your question. Now, Phil's, um, Phil's interviewed Sally K. Norton about this as well, and I made sure that he asked her about that. So, yes, I, I am convinced that oxalates 
could very well form a part of this. So in, in the way that I understand it, so my gout issues always seem to have followed minor trauma to my feet because um, it's always followed either playing rugby or refereeing rugby, running around in, in boots, and then just that slight, you know, distortion of of the the foot joints causing local inflammation and then because i was on high fat low carb and all because oxalates store up over the years and the more green leafy nonsense that that, that you eat they you know your, your body just keeps storing it and never gets to excrete that stuff which we normally would have done ancestrally over the winter time you know you consume fruits with the sugars, the you know, the, the fructose, you might get some fat in your liver, you might get some deuterium and all that kind of stuff. And ancestrally, we'd have peed and breathed all that stuff out over the wintertime and we'd start the, the next year completely clean and detoxified. Um, now, if you are being a, a dutiful vegetable muncher um, you're, and you've got, you're putting oxalates into your body every day, you, your, your tissues and even your bones will never really get a chance to excrete those oxalates again um, because we're getting spinach flown in from all around the world, you know, every every day of the year, and so what I think it is local inflammation um, with maybe a, a slight trauma, and then somehow the oxalate because my my body was then just dumping all the oxalates at once because I was on that carnivore. Um, there's so much oxalate going around that the oxalate seemed to be drawn to that inflammation. That's the way I think, because the inflammation tends to spread. Um, and then, and then kind of stop spreading. So there are some very, very good videos out there. Um, Rob Sivers has done one. Ken Berry has done one. Sean Baker has done one. Look up all of those on, on gout. And they all say the same thing, and that completely aligns with my experience. Give it a year or two, and the attacks should stop because your body has then just got rid of the oxalates. Okay. Now, it is obviously very, very painful and um, and unpleasant to have. So what you could do as well is go on a very low oxalate diet rather than zero oxalate, because in zero oxalate, everything will go, okay, we're oxalate free. Everyone, you know, and every cell in, in independently starts dumping its oxalates. Okay. Um, now, if you have, for example, a square of dark chocolate each day or a couple of cu- cups of black tea, these are relatively high oxalate foods but have them in small amounts to have a little bit of oxalate in your system. And that may then allow your body to get rid of the oxalates um, in a more timely and controlled manner. So that is my understanding uh, about it so far. I don't think purines has got anything to do with it. Um, But also the the other thing worth saying is every gout attack I've had has been after uh, a week or so of drinking too much beer. Beer, alcohol is known to be a trigger and beer particularly so. So that's all I have to say on that. And I'm looking at the other people, that we're, whether they're um, unmuting, ready to speak. Um, but I would uh, just want to say, former Fat Girl has put a brilliant thing here. Please be sure to put a cue in front when asking a question so it sticks out in the chat. That would be really helpful for me. Um, the other guys seem to have x-ray vision when I was chatting and finding the, the questions, but I think putting a cue in front is a great idea. Um, just on the phlebotomy side of things, the... Correlation, I know correlation and causation don't go together, but um, what I'm going to say is nothing to do with that, really. I had many, many people, I must have seen over a thousand blood tests when I was doing the phlebotomy, and people with high uric acid didn't have gout, and some people with low uric acid did. So it's really 
pointless to say, oh, you've got high levels of uric acid. That's that's why you've got gout. Because then you have to scratch your head and say, well, what about all the people that haven't? And I think when I was talking to Sean Baker about this, because he's got a phlebotomy background, I was very interested in the surgery. And he was saying that you could go into a joint that is painful and there would not be uh, those sort of inflammatory markers actually within the joint. And yet there are healthy joints that have got them in. So I think, Ben, you're, you're much more likely to be on the right line there with that. Um, Rich or Phil, did you want to speak up or Jonathan? Or should we move on to the next question? Actually, if I, if I can jump in again to kind of yeah. what the The last gout um, episode that I had started off April of this year. Okay, so this is about two, two to three years after I started high fat low carb, and um, what happened was it was a kind of a long lingering attack. Normally, gout will resolve itself in seven to ten days. This one went on for five weeks, and it was more a kind of a kind of a systemic um, arthritis in my whole foot and ankle, and I completely eliminated it with a forty-eight hour dry fast. I was absolutely amazed. I've shown lots of people the pictures. I don't think I can show them, you know, right. On. Now I don't know how to do that on the tech, but that is that is the one thing I would do if I got a gout attack right now. The first thing I would do: no food, no water, forty-eight hours, and it will blow it out of the park. Uh, that's it. The other thing that I found gave some help as well was to keep a couple of um, bottles of water in the freezer, and I take one and put it in a in a basin, and and literally just put my foot in it and go alternate put it in, take it out, and that that can help with just manage inflammation and the pain to some degree. But the dry fasting, in in my experience, for for blowing up that systemic inflammation is just wonderful. Hill, yeah, I did, you know Ben's pretty much covered it. I think if you have if you have a gout attack when you go carnivore, even if you do nothing else, just stay carnivore. It'll probably have a couple of um, flare ups and and then it tends to disappear, unless you drink a load of beer. But the oxalate dumping thing is a very re- a real thing and. You know, I've been there with the kidney stones. I haven't been there with the gout, but um, yeah, Ben's covered it really. Yeah, I think it's. Phil, people find your interview with um, Sally K. Norton. Yeah, on the Red Red Pill Buddhist podcast, we 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 got into a lot of the the sort of symptoms of oxalate dumping, how long it might last, how to mitigate it, whatever. Sally's um, pretty much bang on about that. I think. Yeah, brilliant. I think um, if people want to check that out, what we're doing in the descriptions, hopefully, is put everyone's channel in there so you can check that out. And I'll just plug, plug Rich and I's live stream because we're doing that at 7 o'clock Sunday night and we've got the guest, Sally K. Norton. So, um, yay. <laughs> so you could watch uh, Phil's brilliant one with Sally and then you'll be armed with better questions and try and trip Rich and myself up. And Sally, maybe. But anyway, um, we've got unknown here. So I think just for the guys, uh, if you want to speak, just unmute. So, Rich, did you want to say something? Yeah, I mean, look, everything's been added there uh, in regards to gout attacks. But it's, um, I know we are uh, interviewing with Sally K. Norton on Sunday in regards to other things that we can do to combat uh, the oxalate dumping. Uh, and one of the suggestions is calcium supplementation because calcium will bind to the oxalate. Um, but we, uh, you know, myself and, and you, Steve, have got um, other thoughts in regards to calcium supplementation. Um, calcium supplementation has been known to increase cardiovascular disease by as much as 15%. Um, 
is uh, also one of the main driving factors to cramp uh, excess calcium and not enough magnesium. But alternative measures may be taken by increasing potassium. Uh, one of the issues that we face when we live a keto or carnivore lifestyle is we increase sodium because we come in from a state of high insulin. Uh, insulin drops, signals the kidneys to release sodium from four points in the nephrons in the kidneys. Um which can lead to uh, inadequate sodium levels. So, you know, quite rightly, we resupplement with lots of sodium, but sodium uh, depletes potassium, and potassium is required four times higher volumes in sodium within the body. So, supplementing possibly with potassium uh, or even magnesium can further uh, mitigate uh, any other potential side effects of, of oxalate dumping to a degree. How long that will take uh, is, is anyone's guess. But uh, I guess we can go into that in more details with uh, with Sally on Sunday. Would that would that ideally be the citrate versions of it? Yeah, do you know, I'm still looking at, at some of the papers because it um, some confer benefits to citrate and others, depending on whether it's magnesium or potassium, there's there's a lot of conflicting evidence. Um, citrate seems to be uh, the yeah the the form that we want to go for, but I've. Um, I'm hoping I'm going to be armed with more information come Sunday. So I'm still doing a little bit of research uh, into that. But um, I'm not a big fan of, of calcium supplementation. So I'm always looking for alternatives. I understand that it would confer a benefit in regards to oxalate dumping. But um, you know, if we are looking at excess calcium consumption leading to 15% increase in cardiovascular disease, and that's certainly something that I would want to uh, address. And I think that living... You know, the, the common misconception is living a carnival lifestyle that we are devoid in calcium, but calcium is found in everything that we eat uh, in a lot higher forms than, than people give credit to. And uh, I think that um, the way that we live, I think we get adequate amount of calcium and we certainly don't want to be adding to that. I just think we can mitigate uh, those negative side effects with uh, potentially potassium or, or magnesium over uh, over the calcium. But um yeah, I'm looking forward. Should be good. Yeah, that's good. a good question. We had a question about dairy then, Stephen. Yeah, we'll get on to that question. Yeah, I just want to say, if, if you're ever worried about what sort of thing to take for, uh, if, if you've got constipation, if you think of Sean Connery talking about magnesium, it's magnesium shit rate. All right, and that's uh, that's going to help you. All right, so that's just a little bit of, um, uh, anyway, right. So unknown uh, ben, here you go. Yes, you spotted this. Is raw cheese okay on a carnivore diet for weight loss? Also, should I ever track anything? Because some days I find myself eating a lot of meat because I'm really hungry. Okay, can I can I be controversial on this one? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It, it something that um, happened at the um, Sheffield conference recently. Ben and I were there. With with my friend Sophia Clemens from Paleo Medicina in Hungary, and she's very much against all dairy for everything. They have their PKD diet, their paleolith, paleolithic ketogenic diet, very high fat, meat only, um, for reversing everything. They're as strict about getting rid of dairy as they are about grains. Now, a lot a lot of people um, who get into dairy and whatever say that raw dairy is is really good stuff now i don't know i'm not 100 percent convinced i know i do better without it much better without it we don't need all the calcium from it as as richard said you know from supplementation or excess dairy we don't really need it but some people think that raw dairy is incredibly healthy now this this 
uh, this actually confirms my own personal experience and of my clients. Mostly I speak to people with autoimmunity um, and they don't do well on dairy. They have problems. Um, if you're autoimmune, you generally have problems with all dairy, whether it's raw or not. But most people, they have a problem with dairy um, that they react to it very quickly, like the lactose intolerance and whatever, because in pasteurized dairy, the um, the lactase is is um, damaged, which stops you, you know, digesting the lactose. But at the same time, also the growth factors are damaged. Now, when we Ben and I were walking around the Peak District with Sophia, and I've got a little video of it, and then a full podcast about it actually later, but a little video just saying, you know, Sophia's just hit us with something saying that raw dairy is actually worse than um, uh, pasteurized dairy. Because although people get the immediate reaction from pasteurized dairy, the growth factors are more um, intact in the raw dairy. So you digest it better to start with, so you don't get such um, issues of lactose intolerance or whatever, or any sort of inflammation or, or whatever people feel from dairy gut issues. But then down the line, those growth factors are more intact and they contribute to unusual cell replication. Because, as Ben pointed out in our little chat with Sophia, milk is designed to make a small animal into a large animal. And past weaning, no species really eats milk, eats dairy, drinks milk, um, especially of another species. So that's probably the one area I, I agree with vegans. Um, people do great on raw dairy. If you want to do it, it's your own choice. Absolutely fine. However, you're asking about weight loss here. I wanted to bring that point in about the unusual cell issues i find that if i do my first four years carnivore i ate basically meat and butter and i was great no joint pain that all healed up everything but once i dropped the butter um and went to tallow instead a load of sinus issues cleared up and my abs popped out again no exercise um and i think what we've seen particularly on the big fat challenge particularly for women if they're eating dairy and they have a weight loss stall, let's call it fat loss because we don't want to talk about bone density and muscle mass. You don't want to lose that. So fat loss stall um, on a carnivore diet and they drop the dairy quite often, then the fat loss um, kicks in again. So I'd say that I don't know. It's all in the I don't know bin for me. But I think that raw dairy, there are, there is a lot of evidence out there that it might be even worse than pasteurized dairy in the long run, not in the short term. And for, and for fat loss, it's not ideal to eat too much dairy on, um, on carnival. Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree as well. It's, um, the, the casein in dairy is going to cause intestinal permeability in everyone, um, you know, whether it's raw or not. And I know there's a big movement within the carnival community in regards to, uh, to A2 and, and raw milks and, and, and uh, uh, raw dairy products but it the casein will cause our intestinal permeability and it's something i can attest to as phil said myself uh i when i began my ketogenic journey i was making these spinach smoothies with black pepper and turmeric um but i felt amazing but i felt amazing in spite of not because of i felt better because i'd cut out all the processed rubbish uh, and i was benefiting from my body producing and utilizing beta hydroxybutyrate and blocking NLRP3 inflammasone and helping fight inflammation and being uh, having higher concentration and cognition. So I was healthier in spite of 
Um, so I was eating, you know, lots of cheese and and, and raw milk, uh, and I felt the best that I'd ever felt. So I could have argued at the time that these products are fantastic because I felt so good. But when I removed them, I became even healthier and fitter again, and other ailments and aches and pains began to to disappear, and I improved uh, even further. So it's it's all about where you want to be on on that journey. I think I think it's, uh, we're all on on this ladder. Um, if being low carb sees a benefit, if, if that confers a benefit to you uh, and that's sustainable and that's fantastic. If you want to be dirty keto, I mean, I'm all for anywhere that clients and customers um, would can be sustainably because this, I think that's the key for me is keeping it sustainable. But the deeper down that rabbit hole that you go, the cleaner that you know that you can become, and, and the more you can remove these toxic products, the better and healthier that you are going to become. And in my opinion, a strict carnivore is the creme de la creme. But anywhere in between is going to confer you know a, a significant benefit if you can remove the cheese, even better. Uh, but coming back to the original question. Um, I believe that it's when I was cut in for competitions uh, in in um, bodybuilding, you know, at the time I was eating cheese. And when I was cut in, cheese would be the first thing, cheese and double cream and all this sort of stuff that I was consuming at the time. That would be one of the first things that I would cut out and I would uh, allow my body to increase um, uh, its own fat burning processes and, and, and strip up to incredible conditions. So uh, n- not a big fan of any dairy. Uh, Keep it out if you can. Excellent. And I just want to check in on Jonathan. Are you, are you okay, Jonathan? Because you're very quiet. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got contrasting opinions, and I know Phil and Ben have heard me say this before. Um, I wouldn't say it's contrasting as in I think they're wrong. I just think it's very context-specific. Um, so myself, I know if I drop out the dairy, particularly the dairy fat, then I find that I'm able to drop fat faster. But I can only manage that for about three, maybe four days. Then I start to get heart palpitations. Um, the suggestion to me from some genetic testing that I've done seems to be that dropping out calcium, at least dietary calcium, seems to be the problem for me. Um, so I looked a bit further into it and I spoke to some experts on it. And so if we worked out, it seems to be that about 24% of the population have a genetic polymorphism, which means they have a slightly higher requirement for calcium. Um, now when I say that, I'm not saying you have to have a dairy to, you know, assimilate, absorb calcium, but it's a good way to get it in. Um, and when, of course, we're talking about the context of this question, which is, is it bad for fat loss? Does it halt, slow down fat loss? I'd say absolutely yes, but for myself, it's not the first thing I'd get rid of. I'll be looking at the macronutrient balance, the protein and fat. Um, the protein amount when I work with clients tend to be pretty stable, unless we're doing a protocol to lose fat faster, I might elevate protein just to help satiety um but that's the only instance when someone's trying to drop fat really fast then i'll actually drop fat quite significantly um the biggest thing for me in terms of halting fat loss seems to be that people eat too much fat funny enough um but there is a part of it which i believe is explained in something called the carbohydrate insulin model um and in my kind of experience of just working with people anecdotally i can't back this up with any science I'd say probably it counts for about 20% of fat loss. So when you've pulled these levers, say you've got your protein the right amount, you've, you're healthy, you can, you're in a position to actually lose fat. You're in a healthy position to lose fat. You can lower the fat intake slightly. Obviously, you don't drop it down to zero because that's contraindicated. You won't be able to sustain it very long. And when you get to the point where you think, well, I don't really want to reduce my, my fats or vitamins, 
my you know fatty beef too much eggs what have you then you can start to move to the towards the dairy um so for me it's never a case of taking everything out of the diet but then of course if phil's working with an autoimmune patient or a client and they're saying to them look i'm not well i've got lupus hashimoto's thyroiditis all this other stuff arthritis then it's a different situation i don't work with that many people that have that issue so for me if someone can tolerate dairy i try to keep it in but obviously on the flip side it is hyperpalatable you know it was made thousands of years ago um ben will probably know best when it was made but it was made to store fat from animals like in the form of dairy so you're looking at you know the butter ghee things like that um that's essentially what it's there for that's why it exists nowadays to store extra fat but for myself, I keep it in. Um, now, saying that, I think if I reduce my dairy intake gradually, then, yeah, perhaps I would be able to alter my my genetic makeup in a, in a way that my expressions aren't quite as strong, so I wouldn't get strong heart palpitations. Of course, I went from a mixed carnivore diet to a lion diet. I lasted three or four days, and I felt horrendous, uh, anxious. As soon as I added dairy back in, my macronutrient content was the same because of protein and fat. But getting rid of the dairy seemed to be the problem. Um, I li- worked out through a bit of, a bit of a research. The dairy went back in, first thing. Within six hours, I felt back to normal. So for me, it seemed to be impactful. But it's so context-specific. So it's good to have different opinions and different experiences because ultimately we all work with people. You see, you see, you're quite young. I think, I think maybe you probably needed to be weaned better. And I yeah. think maybe be sort of species-specific. Maybe, maybe get out on the streets pursue some nursing mothers with a breast pump, maybe a tenner, see if you can get something in there. See, 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 what, see what you can do within your own sort of species and see if that improves things even further. Perhaps, yeah. I might be able to save some money as well if I can get it free off the teat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, that's, that's all I've got to say on that anyway, but yeah. Well, I, yeah, exactly. I'm no stranger to the, the revealing our secrets here. But, um, yeah, so... Sorry, I can resist these daft interludes, but it, it's actually not that daft, is it? We are our own species. Let's see what see what happens with proper proper dairy yeah. dairy consumption. Also, also the um, the 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 sugars in human breast milk are quite quite different to to cow milk as well. We've we've got more low lactase, I think, in, in human breast milk, and not so much lactose as well. So probably more species appropriate. We, we've had this question on, on one of our Q&As before. So when people said, you know, are there, are there different kind of diets that are more appropriate in different stages of life? And our answer is yes. Breast milk until you're weaned and then it's me. That's it. Yes, and it is that simple sometimes. And, but Jonathan hit the nail on the head there with uh, the genetic element because I think he mentioned the 24%. I did the U, uh, 23 what is it, 23Me or something? Anyway, the genetic testing, I can't remember. And I was trying to find my results because I looked that particular thing up because I'm fine with that. But Harry Sopanos, who isn't British, so he can't be in the panel, but he is a brilliant guy. Um, he's actually got the same thing as Jonathan, I think, where he has uh, problems with calcium. So I'm going to go to the next question. Sorry, guys, someone's got to be the teacher. You know, someone's got to take control of this unruly mob. So uh, it seems like it's me at the moment. So, Jay, can supplementing with biotin help with skin issues due to excess protein intake? I can take that or anyone else can take that. No one's unmuting. Go on, Jonathan. Yeah, Jamie, stop eating so much protein. <laughs> he's, he's, um, he's, he's a well-trained guy. He's athletic. He is muscular. Um, But I think the, 
the issue is in the question itself, I'd reduce the excess protein. Um, so if you find out, you know, you've eliminated eggs, for example, eliminated dairy, the things that are often toxic or, let's say, you know, seem to increase eczema, skin issues, psoriasis, get rid of that first, which I'm sure he has, then start to reduce the actual protein intake. It could be that you're getting dry skin because of that. I do know a lot of people that end up really thirsty because they eat so much protein. You know, think every time you eat protein, you often add a bit of extra salt to it. When you add extra salt, you get more thirsty. So I kind of think of it um, as a whole, you know. So I'd probably reduce the protein slightly then work from there. But biotin would potentially help. Um, personally, I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to say without an experiment, so without actually trying it out. Of course, I don't believe Jamie eats eggs. I think that's something that he has issues with. So he's not going to get a great deal of biotin from eggs. But he's able to supplement, you know, with a bit of liver every now and then. Some people freeze it. Some people eat it. I know... Um, there's probably, you know, biotin and other foods as well, but ultimately a whole food source is going to be a better option, I think, for a lot of people. I think Rich is unmuted. Yeah, I was just curious about what um, Jay's protein intake is. Um, I mean, because I, I eat protein uh, ad lib, you know, I, I've it's the only thing that I eat and I eat quite a lot of it. Um, I've never told anybody before to restrict protein as I believe it's the most important macronutrient. You know, we look at proteins and fats, uh, but nature provides us with this perfectly packaged present. Um, protein in nature comes with fat. An egg is protein and fat. A chicken breast with a skin on is protein and fat. A piece of steak is protein and fat. I think if we stick to the way the nature intended, then generally we're okay. That said, um, even Certain protein sources within the carnival lifestyle uh, have been shown to elicit uh, negative responses. Um, seafood, you know, cheese and eggs, uh, prawns, uh, even pork and lamb. Uh, I think beef is the only thing that hasn't el- uh, elicited a, a negative uh, response. And I'd be curious if, if Jay has ever tried going um, strict uh, lion diet in regards to skin conditions. But uh, yeah, just curious. You, you may already know the answers. Um, John, just brilliant. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He, I think he's tried that, or at least a close variation of it. Um, it seems to be it could be a mixed, a mixed bag of things that um, coming together to cause that issue. He's had it for quite a long time, so it it require a lot of deep thought, I think, and a lot of experimentation for sure. Yeah, I think, I think skin skin issues are often very much tied to liver function as well with the. the skin being sort of, you know, after the lungs, the third um, organ of detox. If the liver's compromised a little bit, then, um, you know, you can get skin issues. We've seen, I know it's controversial, and I know liver flushing, and a lot of people say it's nonsense, but I've seen so many incredible results with it, particularly with skin issues when uh, people get the liver cleaned out, if it even works by those pathways. Having done 60 of them or so myself and still not really understanding them, we have seen some amazing results and it's the only little bit of woo-woo left from my vegan years, but it does seem to work. And um, anything that, that that really helps the liver, which a carnivore diet really will in the long run anyway, clear the liver. But um, yeah, have a, have a look at liver function if there's a skin issue. Yeah, and I think what you just said, Phil, uh, if, if it's you do something and it seems to work, I mean, biotin doesn't really do anything with the skin, but it does help with the synthesis of, of keratin and also the absorption of fatty acids. So it's one of those, it's a water-soluble vitamin, isn't it? A B7, if I remember rightly. So it's 
it's one of those things that you can deplete quite quickly. But I, I, I'm with you, really. It's a bit more holistic. I don't think if you're writing in a question, and it's um, Jay, I'm not being um, no, no, tough on your question there, but if you've got excess protein intake in your question, supplementing with something else isn't really the answer. And I, I'm with Rich as well on that. Is it really excess protein that's causing it? So I think um, that would be something to really dive quite deeply into. So I just want to tell people that are commenting, we are a little bit behind. We're about 20 minutes behind on the comments. So uh, if you have commented and we haven't got to your question, you don't need to type it again. Uh, we will try to get to it. So spiritual <laughs> hypertrophy. <laughs> I reckon this might be one of Jonathan's, but I'm not sure. The question is, and if you're wondering why I'm reading the question out, it's because this will also be an audio podcast. So uh, the question is, I'm going carnivore for the first time. I'm concerned about my performance for strongman. Can you talk about macros for athletes and the initial adaptation period? Yeah, we'll probably go to town on this one because we could for should we, oh, yeah. <laughs> Richard and I would probably say the same. Rich, do you go first and then I'll guess I'll try and keep it succinct as well. Yeah, I I'll leave you hit with the macros. Um I think we've got pretty similar uh, opinions on on macronutrient ratios when it comes to uh to performance and things as as well. But it um I don't believe that your performance will be hindered uh if you do things correctly. And if they are, it's only during the initial adaptation pro, uh, period. Um if you're coming from uh, an, an adapted ketogenic background and you're coming into carnival, then your body's already upregulated its ability to produce uh, and utilize beta hydroxybutyrate. So we've got the MCTs, the monocarboxylic transporters, and specific enzymes involved with uh, with utilizing beta hydroxybutyrate, um, and that's a, a big a big factor when it comes to adaptation. And this is one of the reasons that people struggle when they become carnivore or, or, or ketogenic. That uh, and uh, electrolytes, uh, as we said earlier, if you're coming from a state of high insulin, which most bodybuilders and powerlifters tend to, to, to be so, um, that insulin drops and it's going to signal the kidneys to release the sodium from, from uh, the four points and the nephrons in the kidney. So, so uh, sodium, super important. Um, now, when we look at s- sort of strength and protein, uh, and carbohydrate. Carbohydrate doesn't build muscle. Um, it increases muscle protein synthesis by zero. Um, the activation of mTOR through through leucine, so three grams of leucine will activate mTOR and allow uh, muscle protein synthesis. But the co-ingestion of carbohydrate with protein will not further augment uh, an increase in muscle protein synthesis. But increasing or adding fat, so the co-ingestion of fat with protein will increase muscle protein synthesis. So it's not a case of losing muscle or not being able to build muscle. But what happens is if you're coming from uh, a background of high carbohydrate, what you may have in the muscle and you're not adapted is more volume in the muscle. So for every one gram of glycogen, your body's going to hold on to three grams of water. And that gives you leverage in the muscle. And we see this with athletes who supplement with anabolic steroids in the likes of... um, Oh my goodness, I can never remember. Things like Dianabol, which will make you incredibly big, incredibly quickly and incredibly strong. But when this person comes off this anabolic steroid, their strength uh, drops back to where it was. Um, their size does so also, which means that they couldn't have built muscle within that time, which means there has to be the leverage within the muscle. So there is an argument that carbohydrate could potentially make you stronger in regards to that. But then you can offset that with the supplementation of creatine monohydrate, um, getting adequate sodium and potassium and the sodium potassium ratio uh, needs to be spot on. And as you adapt uh, into being uh, keto and carnivore, 
the body will upregulate the lactic acid system and you will be able to fill the muscle with glycogen and further hold on to, to water within the muscle. So strength, um, I don't think is an issue. I'm I'm not very big. You know, I wasn't big when I was bodybuilding, um, but I looked big for my size. Um, but I was quite, you know, I was fairly strong. Uh, at 75K, I was benching 165K, um, squatting 230 uh, and deadlifting. Oh, sorry, apologies, dead, squatting 119, deadlifting 230, uh, which I think at the time put me in like the top three in the UK in, in my weight and age category. Um which is why I was going to go into powerlifting, but that didn't come off because I tore my pec and then I went down the rabbit hole of, of endurance sport. But um, but that's another story. Um, so yeah, that's my quick two penneth. But I think that um, if you do it correctly and allow those adaptations to take place, then um, I think you can be stronger, just as strong, if not stronger. Because the, the, the other advantage, sorry, John, just going off on one really quickly as well, is if, if, when you're consuming carbohydrate, most carbohydrates come from, from a lectin source. And lectins and phytic acid will block the absorption of other nutrients, uh, particularly zinc, iron, and magnesium. And, and zinc is essential for the production of testosterone, which is essential for building muscle. So all of these other things that you would be putting in to increase your strength are absolutely counterintuitive to healing, repairing, and building that muscle. So carnivo is definitely the key. I think it's just you need to stick to it. Jonathan will advise on macros, uh, but creatine uh, and electrolytes uh, are all big, uh, big pluses for me also. Yeah, good show. I think everything Richard said is, is bang on. Um, after I've said my bit and Ben said his bit, I'd probably recommend a consultation with myself or Richard, even one of us will be able to help you very well, I think. Um, in terms of like transitioning, I'd look at doing it over a period of about four to eight weeks if you've been on a, a shoddy diet. Um, the main thing that you'll find is that you'll be eating probably very lean accidentally. So when people say eat the fatty meat, eat the fatty meat. And what you find is if you're a big boy, you're going to need extra fat with that. So you're going to find, you know, say you're on 200 grams of protein a day or something or more, you know, you're going to be on two, three, four, some, some people 500 grams of protein, uh, sorry, fat with that. Um, what I would suggest to most people is just to incrementally increase that. So a little guide to give people sometimes is just maybe initially the first week, half the carbs, increase the fats. Um, Maybe say say you drop 300 carbs, maybe increase the fat by maybe 150 grams, something like that. It's just a ballpark guideline. And then just keep adding it and switching it that way. So for every 10 grams of carbs, say, increase fat by maybe 5 grams. Um, I'll probably do that over a period of maybe one or two, maybe even three months. Um, you'll know if you're not digesting the fat very well, if your stool starts to float. And I notice for a lot of people that try to transition too fast, um, transitioning slowly is really helpful. You won't get as much as a performance dip because you're not stressing your body. So every time you change your your dietary intake, your gut microbiome changes and it has to adapt according to that. So if you do that too fast, it is a stress to the body um, and you won't feel much benefit from it. If you're a big boy, like I just said, I'd recommend buying Richard's Keto Electrolyte products. Um, it's on his website, Keto Pro Electrolytes. Google it. They're like 15 quid or something. It's very good value. They're a good product. I recommend them. I do use them sometimes. Um Outside of that, macros, I don't know, one and a half to two grams of protein per kilo, something like that is a good ballpark figure. If you're already eating very high protein, I'd pick the higher amount. What you'll find eventually, you go, go along your journey and your recovery is not great. Was it protein or fat? So do a bit of experimentation, perhaps increase the protein if you're really sore. And don't be afraid to increase it even more. I know some people that just have to eat a lot of protein. Um, but that's all that being said, that's assuming that you're metabolically healthy 
you're fit, you're well, you're active, and then you can apply those things. Um, if you've got some autoimmunity, then it's a different scenario. You might have to be a bit more select and picky about how you adapt the things you add in or take out. Oxalate dumping does happen to quite a few people. Um, there's ways you can get around that. I think Stephen's got great videos on oxalate dumping and how to put that into remission. You've got the thing about um, Dr. Sally K. Norton going on Stephen's podcast on Sunday, next, this, this coming week. Um, Phil's got a good podcast with her, I believe, so check that out. But if you've got more questions than that, it might have to wait until next time, but we can always elaborate there. I think Ben's got uh, an anecdote. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated uh, to to know how carnivore can help with with strongman training i've been a, a, a strongman fan i've never i've never trained or competed that way um and I, I know for example um i remember uh you know being like a interview with eddie hall saying that, that after he won world strongest man in 2017 his doctors and nutritionists and everyone said you, you you're kind of done you know he knew that he wasn't going to try and, and train up to that level again because they simply said to him your liver and your kidneys will not take that level of throughput of um of food and just processing all that he says they'll pack in it um but what's what's really interesting about this so i'm going to just share a quick anecdote because i've been um i'm doing some work with dr anthony chafee at the moment and um he his story is is really interesting because he when when he first went carnivore, he was he was studying at medical school in the US and he was training very, very hard at rugby. Um and, and went on to play professionally in, in England as well. Now when he was when he was doing that training, he would do he would do uni in the morning, go and do like three and a half hours rugby training in the afternoon and evening, and then even hit the gym after that. And what he found was that did it didn't matter how much and how hard he trained, he could he, his recovery was just almost instantaneous, and he, he even did a um, a test in this, and he did the most insane leg session that he's ever done. And he, and he actually says in his kind of um, you know story of, of of his carnivore journey that he phoned up a friend and said, "I've done something really stupid. I may not be able to walk for several days, but apparently the next day after this ridiculous leg session, he." he was absolutely fine. Just a little twinge when walking up the stairs, for example. So what I'm fascinated to know is if carnivore and, and being zero carb and zero plant can help your recovery and accelerate your recovery to that degree, whether how possible it may be, and I don't have an answer for this, how possible it may be for, for people training for strongman and for bodybuilding to do more intense um, abbreviated training um, because the the reason why these big guys are guzzling so much food is is because it well it may be because they're simply overtraining, right? So whether you could get the same kind of gains and the same kind of results with l- shorter and more intense training and improved recovery. Um, so I'd, I'd love to get uh, yeah you, your guys' view on that as well. Whether that may be a possibility. Well. Well, I, well, I was just um, chatting privately with Jonathan because we've got six questions. Um, can we get onto the questions, Ben, that people have posted, or do you want to? Because we we were going to do an hour, and I'm I'm thinking we'll do a bonus fifteen minutes if everyone's up for that because people are bothered to turn up and ask questions. Um, yeah, that's just a hypothesis, so you know we can chew on that. We can talk about it any time. Let's do a quick fire round. 
Yeah, if you don't mind, I just think because we've we've told people that we've got <laughs> got this thing going on. Here's a here's a quick one, um, which is really easy. It's going to be easy to to respond to this one. Uh, George was adding weight and sharply stopped when they removed dairy and went meat only. So, yep, that's cool. Uh, so that's a nice comment. Thank you very much. Um, this is also on the strength training. Linear progression re-strength training couldn't fit in previous comment. So uh, linear progression. Progressing fine. Started carnivore. Progress stopped. Two weeks in. Lost 2K. Six foot five, ninety four kilograms. I was doing one k of meat and um, OMAD. Now doing one point seven k of just meat. Do I need to eat more? Anyone? I, I, to me, I don't know. I mean, you know, I I I love the way that people kind of um, analyze this and figure out what's going on. But to me, I don't know. It's very simple. I think after a while, carnivore, your tastes refine so much. And if you trust the process, even like, you know, today we thought maybe it's a good day for oysters. So we had oysters, might not happen for another month, you know, or or I, I need some liver today or something like that. And and the same thing is with with exertion, you know, like I'm not really training at the moment. And and yeah, the weekend I played this this gig and I had to travel a long way to it and then play the gig, stay up late. I was hungry I ate late at night, which I don't normally do. And I don't normally eat eggs or pork, but in the morning, I, I just got up. I was so hungry. I went down to the hotel and had an absolute massive amount of egg yolks and bacon and it, because my body craved it. And it usually doesn't until about midday. And so just listening to your body and even the fat and, and protein ratios, you know, it's great to analyze all this, but I'm just some old hippie that goes on intuition. And and it, 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 it really is a, a skill that we've forgotten that needs to be brought out again. You know, with with all the analysis, um, what does your body say? What does it want? What does it want to do? And also the business of, you know, dropping out dairy and then not being able to train so heavy. And maybe you've gone beyond your capacity. You know, it, it, it's if you're competing and, and that's your livelihood, it's a different thing if you want to get as big as possible. But if, if you're just going for health, does anybody really notice if you've got like half an inch extra on your biceps or something? Not really. They don't. You just want to get as healthy as you possibly can on your optimal ancestral diet. And that should be good enough for most people. Just intuition and listen to your body. When you train, you get hungrier. Do you want a fatty meat day today? Do you want a little bit more protein, a little less fat the other day? I don't know. Maybe it's because after eight years, I just I those those signals are pretty easy to listen to. Whereas I understand that before that, most of the signals were towards eating as much kettle chips and Haagen-Dazs ice cream as I possibly could. But when you get rid of those signals, your body kind of tells you what you need, I think. Yeah, I was just looking in the messages there to see what's happened to Jonathan. So um, I think he's he's popping back in. So we'll, we'll put a question up why he's coming back in. And this is from Matthew. The only dairy I can tolerate without getting IBS... Uh, skin and mental health issues, problems, only tolerate pasteurized cottage cheese and soft cheese. Is this likely a histamine or a lactase, lactose problem? Anyone? I should imagine it's, I should imagine it's the lactose if it's, um, if it's pasteurized, isn't it? But um, anybody else got any other thoughts? I don't know. The, the cottage cheese thing is weird. I mean, I haven't eaten it for years. Oddly, I just saw a tub of it turn up in the fridge today. 
the missus bought. I, I don't know why she wants to eat that. The last one she bought went bad and went in the bin. But um, I don't know. I just, I, I look back at the old, my old sort of vegetarian um, sort of spiritual type diet, Indian food, and everybody used to chuck a load of cottage cheese on the top. And it, it definitely had a lot less of a reaction than uh, cheese or double cream or anything like that. But I don't know why, actually. It's, it's got me thinking here. I don't know why about cottage cheese, why it wouldn't have a reaction. I don't. But then again, does it have a reaction down the line? Again, with dairy, you know, is this, is this a, um, a, you know, a, a, something that builds up over the years? I don't know. But I, I do know people who can take cottage cheese and can't take other stuff. Um, yes. But I, I, I really don't know why. I'm not sure why it would be a histamine reaction. Although, you know, histamine is 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 associated with a lot of dairy. You know, when, well, when yeah. I eat dairy, I get hay fever. When I don't, I get none. <laughs> That's it. I think it's the, the aging. I mean, I've got a video on my YouTube channel called There's Something About Dairy. Do you like that little joke there? But anyway, um, and... The processing of the different cheeses, how, how you arrive at these different cheeses depends on how much liquid is taken out, how many proteins are left in, uh, how how they're aged. So I would be very surprised if it was histamine because histamine tends to be associated more with the aging of something. So everything that dies, plants, humans, whatever, um, anything living that dies immediately starts to produce histamine. And as it breaks down, as it ages, you get more and more histamine, which is why a 28-day hung steak um, can be a real no-no for someone, even though it's absolutely lush because of histamine, just histamines. So I think... Look at the food and think, is this likely to be aged? And if it's aged, like an aged cheese, aged meat, um, then it's more than likely going to be histamine. And I think when you've ruled that out, then if you do a differential diagnosis, it's probably lactose. It could be something else. But I think um, I strongly recommend watching that video because I literally just go through the process from milk to as they take out more liquid, they take out more sugars and it's um, what you end up with. It's really simple. And then you can identify what's causing your problem. Right. Um, I think this is a great question. Although we, we're focusing a bit too much possibly on dairy, I think it's a good one because Lambs is saying, isn't raw dairy beneficial for fat-soluble vitamins though, like K2 or MK4? Well, I, maybe, maybe it is, but at what cost? Possibly. I, I just, again, for me, it's kind of simple. I just look at the ancestral model, how many other animals eat dairy past weaning? None. The Maasai seem to get away with it. Maybe they have some kind of genetic thing. Maybe it's that they do everything else right. They're out in the sun. They've got their feet on the ground. They exercise. They don't have artificial light and EMFs. Maybe they'd be even more healthy if they just had the blood and meat and they didn't have the milk. I don't know. But it doesn't seem to do them much harm. But is it necessary? Well, if it was necessary, then the tribes that don't eat it would have died out, I'd say. I'm yeah, kind of on these things. I think there was a there was a study done, wasn't it, in um, the early 1900s, I think, where they, they tested uh, the Maasai against the Akakuyu, who were a vegetarian uh, tribe. Um, and the Maasai were fitter and healthier on every metric bar one, which was intestinal permeability. Um, and the only difference was that they were consuming the raw dairy completely unpasteurized. So, you know, it comes back to the point that we made earlier, isn't it, that all dairy causes that intestinal permeability. You know, the raw may confer some benefit, whether it be short term 
um, and more detrimental, you know, in the long term. But it does definitely cause that intestinal permeability. So I think it's uh, there are other ways to to get your fats in for your fat soluble vitamins. Um, it doesn't have to come from from your dairy. Right. Uh, and there's a comment here that's caught my eye. Brit Gower in Texas. Howdy. If any of you guys there in the UK have carnivore stories that you think could help others, reach out to Kerry on his Homestead Howl YouTube channel. He's working on putting together a carnivore doc. Well, if you've got putting together one, we'll sort of, sort of like, you know, Anthony Chafee's arms, Sean Baker's legs. Is this some sort of a Frankenstein carnivore doc? Or is that document or doctor? The voice of reason there from Ben. Um, well, firstly, he's not in my good books for two reasons, uh, or that channel isn't, because one is they did a 24-hour live stream and said it was the first one ever, and it wasn't, because Rich and I did it, and everybody in this room was guests on it. Yeah, And we've had a couple of members point that out to them, and they've been banned from the channel for pointing out. Uh, yeah, so... This is me actually angry, but in front of a camera angry. Uh, so I think that's awful. And I've also reached out to to that channel to see if they'll come on, and they don't even reply. So uh, you get onto them, Brit Gowan, Texas, and say, you know, you've upset the UK Carnivore, definitely, because they did the 24-hour live stream. There it is on YouTube, and then you said yours was the first. Right, so that's that out of the way. I'm just having a little temper tantrum there. And I know Rich would as well, but I'm not letting him. Matthew, <laughs> now this is good for us. It would be awesome if we could have a carnivore keto meetup in the UK in 2024. Any comments? Yeah. I'd be up for that, yeah. It, uh, I, I think this is um, this is where you know you uh, you jumped into action, Jonathan, wasn't it? I think you over you'd be probably ramped in. Uh, to do it alive with uh, with Stephen in regards to a, a few other um, carnivores who did a carnival meetup in the UK, and um, I don't know about the, the rest of you, but you know, I I wasn't invited, um, Stephen. I don't know about you know the rest of you guys, but um, I I'd like to think that you know the, the five of us are probably predominantly um, you know, the, the leading figures in the UK in regards to keto carnival and health and well being in general, as far as uh, as, as diet goes. Um, and these people just didn't seem to know who who we were, um, which kind of got my back up a little bit because like, you start seeing these posts pop up with this meetup and all you know all the top carnivals in the UK are meant to be there, and I'm thinking, well, I didn't even know it it existed, but it's um, but never mind, we're you now. But yeah, I'm up you, for I'm up you, for a meetup. Did you shout out them, Richard? Do you know who I am? It's a good guy with the accent. Should <laughs> have done that. <laughs> Ket, I just I just want to say something quickly. Sorry, um, Ket, Kerry from that video, uh, Homestead, how he he did promise me that he would interview me for his channel. Um, it's been about three months now. It's not happened. So what, what have you? You know? Yes. All oh, right. My dog is barking. He's saying it's, it's our bonus. Fifteen minutes is up. So Cud Kitty, thirty-five year old male, seven months carnival, feel amazing. All of a sudden, I have cravings every day for porridge oats. I have no other cravings, and the odd thing is, I hated porridge pre-carnivore and never ate it. And here's the continued: Why is this? And is it a sign of a deficiency or something? Fire away, guys. While I go and make sure my dog's okay. I'll quickly chime in. Just, uh, I think he probably just craves more fat. Um, some people they they uh, some people can eat a lot initially because they're missing vital nutrients that they may not have had in the diet prior to the carnivore diet. Um, they may have hit that threshold and now they're like, you know, 
meat nausea you sometimes hear or meat aversion i've I've heard of people having that i've had that myself um if you're finding that you're not hungry for something don't eat it the thing is the moment you put something else in because you think well i should be eating something you know carbs are addictive you know the dopamine hit but long term it's not a great way to go about it um you end up having to fight yourself harder every time you add those foods back in um so i'd probably just focus on the carnival foods it may be that you just hungry for a certain kind of food but you're not sure what it is maybe you've gone from mixed animal food diet to lion diet in like a week okay that could be a reason why there's probably a lot to break down in this instance but um it could be just a lack of fat or something or lack of energy so look at it from a whole from a holistic point of view it's funny actually because you know i was going to just say well maybe he's got a porridge deficiency or whatever but you know seriously i i i i it's when you have inflammation, it can it can sort. It's a difficult one to explain. It can sort of take you back in the years. It's like I ate some stuff that because I have autoimmunity in my background, I got into real trouble last winter, and I was it was from eating <clears throat> dairy, pork, chicken, and eggs, uh, which I found easier to find on the road, you know, with the band and whatever. And I thought I was invincible, and I got in real trouble this time last year and it was weird when there was inflammation i started to crave weird things like i kept on and on thinking about um macaroni cheese and i haven't eaten that for decades you know i mean really my mum used to make it when i was a kid but it was all i could think of i want macaroni cheese i didn't have it but there's something about inflammation i've never really thought about it in this in this um way before but if there is some inflammation, it might even take you back to those times where you craved that sort of thing that got you into the problem in the first place. Now, I, I've never said anything like that before or even thought about it, but it's just occurred to me. I, w- I would just ride it out, eat some more fats, you know, eat some uh, proper stuff. And nobody needs porridge. There's nothing in there, nothing whatsoever in there that you could possibly need that you're not getting from meat. So it's a little echo of an old, um, an old addiction. Do some, do some EFT, you know, tap it out. <laughs> Are we back? Yeah. We're all back. We didn't go anywhere. All right. We've just been sitting in an embarrassed silence while you were away. I just want to quickly point out the, um, the fantastic visuals by Stephen today. He's done a great job. Thank you very much. Yeah. I think we'll make this the last, well, actually there's one very quick, uh, it, it seems like a setup question. All right, we'll do this one first, and then we'll do the last one. So, Rick, there, is it possible that being on a carnivore diet for decades is why I have plenty strong, I have been plenty strong for physical work and never suffered injuries despite moving heavy objects on a regular basis? Yeah. I've got a lot to say about this, right? And it it's basically yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so let's finish with this one. Herbert, how, and I'm reckoning the word is, is missing here, how is elevated glucose detected by the body and by what mechanism the insulin is then secreted? When is elicit by elevated cortisol or excess digestive protein breakdown? There's a lot there. I mean, basically, a lot of people think that once your blood glucose goes up, your insulin is is uh, produced from the beta cells. But you've got to look at the increasing or increasing effect, which is absolutely 10 times more powerful than inv- 
infusing blood glucose, you're actually putting glucose into your bloodstream, basically. So what they've done to prove that you have these cells in your small intestine on the brush border, when you eat something that has glucose in, once it gets into your small intestine, that is when the pancreas really ramps up the production of insulin. So I'm rushing that answer in case anyone else wants to dive in. I could go on about this for a long, long time, but we do need to go. Anyone else want to pipe up with something? Yeah, it's 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 just done by magic. It's just magic. <laughs> wow. Right, well, let's get rid of this. And uh, Herbert, if you want a better answer with a bit more time, come, come on Sunday at 7 o'clock. Or um, or anyone's channel and ask that question, actually. So um, how are we going to wrap this up, guys? I mean, should it be Jonathan as it was his idea? Um, I'll just quickly say thank you guys for contributing your time. I appreciate you guys do have your live things. You do have groups. Um, Coach Stephen does have a live with Richard on, I believe, Sunday night. And I have a live on Monday night, which is Carnival Muscle Ramblings. Um, ben and Phil both have a a brilliant brilliant group it's like um they call it the big fat tribe so I'd recommend finding out about that on phil's channel effectively it's a whole library catalog of pretty much everything you need to do and read up on to understand the carnival diet how to get into it all the ins and outs a lot of ancestral stuff the historical stuff the stuff about the food guidelines you know it's really really in depth um honestly if you joined that right now you can pay a really affordable amount and actually recommend joining that um it's great great stuff and then rich has got his great website which is keto pro that sells good products good quality um as a fellow nutritionist i understand how much effort you can put into designing and formulating products i can see that the effort has been put in there so i'd recommend checking that out as well um i sell stuff as well and i do stuff online just visit my website it's compositionconsultant.com that's excellent well should we just say bye and uh yeah hopefully see it next week or something yeah yes. take care thank you so much for listening to my podcast i hope you enjoyed it your support means the absolute world to me and if you're enjoying the show i've got a small favor to ask you I'd be incredibly grateful if you would consider becoming a supporter and make a small monthly donation. Your contribution will really help to improve the show. I'll be able to improve the software, maybe put a few more episodes out and do many things that I'm hoping to do in the future. Do them a lot quicker. So it's a small monthly contribution. You can cancel at any time and the link is in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening.